Why would you leave and at that point? see how many are still awake. Yeah, really. Yeah. Wow. Well, yes, hockey, I know it wasn't the Blackhawks, but it's the Stanley Cup. And so it actually made getting into work very easy for us tonight because typically we would be driving downtown about the time a few Swifties would be driving downtown. But it was a piece of cake this evening. Yeah, the, the, it was a real easy drive tonight. Beautiful. In fact, if you go to our Facebook page, and that would be uh, – Facebook.com slash Steve and Johnny show. You'll see that we posted some pictures of our drive in. And, and also there was a picture of this Robin in the birdbath. <laughs> Actually, not just a picture, a video of the Robin in the birdbath yes. in our uh, backyard. Getting ready who for was t- also getting ready. Getting ready for tonight's show, yeah. I was so happy he just kept performing for me while I was making the video. That rarely <laughs> happens. Usually by the time I get my my phone out, oh, gee, nobody will believe what I just saw. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's that defines pure joy when you see this yeah. Robin bathing on a hot uh, evening. Gorgeous weather tonight under a big strawberry moon. Taylor has connections. Yeah, I know. I'm beginning to wonder. She really does. <laughs> now, Bob Fukuda, you're here until the wee-wee hours of the morning. 4 a.m. When, you, when yep. you came in, did you have any traffic troubles nope see they all got there at 10 o'clock this morning so there's no problem as you get closer to showtime ron you didn't have any problems getting in tonight did you no i was in uh in the afternoon and i take uh the uh eisenhower just straight up to the uh to the doorway basically mm-hmm. uh, on lower whacker so wow uh it's, it's like it's like driving into the bat cave yes go right into the parking <laughs> oh, garage sure, sure. I, except i'm not batman or robin but, <laughs> but other you're, cool. than that, you're not yeah, other than that Darn. it's like driving into and the bat cave ron does wear leotards sometimes so, yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> true that was just supposed to be our secret <laughs> okay <laughs> and we've never seen them in the same place at the same time remember hmm. when we were at the trib tower and in fact they were doing the batman movie on lower whacker and we ran downstairs no it wasn't the batman movie that i was chastised by the director it was um, oh the movie of oh transformers uh, no no well there was transformers that was scary something that was really because they were transformers out of michigan avenue this is the one um uh kevin costner detectives um based on the the true story yeah yeah, and Uh, it was costner and who was his co-star anyway both big stars and i ran out with uh, a two was two way radio, Bob. Is that what I would have had when I ran? So I was armed. And this is at about uh, two in the morning. Yeah, and I decided I would go over to the bridge because I could tell there was a lot of activity right around the bridge, and the director was in a cherry picker hanging out over the Chicago River, and he screams, "Hey, Blondie, get off the bridge! You're moving the bridge!" And I'm like, Literally. "What? I'm moving the bridge." <laughs> Your little frame was moving that giant bridge. I I crawled back into the studio. I was devastated. I mean, he really yelled at me. I'm like, whoa. And then I realized they were actually filming, and I was kind of not supposed to be there. I wasn't dressed appropriately for what 1920s, 1930s. The Untouchables. Yes, Untouchables. Thank Uh, you. You cannot leave. You have to stay here the rest of the night. Until my coffee kicks in, at least. Uh, We got a bunch of things coming up, and we want to continue our our round robin. But first of all, we're going to take a break, and uh, more coming up. Stay with us at WGN. King and Johnny Putnam at WGN Radio. No, that was not us singing. Uh, I wish. That, that was, I love that. That was dealer's choice. And we have a new dealer with us tonight. He is Patrick Hennessy. Patrick, do you go by Patrick or Pat? 
Either or. Yeah. Either or. Well, you're an athlete, so I bet they, they, <laughs> they often call you Pat, right? Yeah. 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 It's easier. Patrick is a cross-country, uh, what do yeah. I call you? Runner, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Runner. Okay. So, some people don't consider us athletes, so. Oh, I do. <laughs> Bob, where were you? I needed you to fill in the blanks there. Oh. The word was runner. Come on. No, I certainly consider you an athlete. Dang. Oh, thank you. I'm from Lewis University, recent yes. graduate. That is correct. And that is correct. This is your first solo flight, huh? It is. So, we'll be you know. gentle. <laughs> I, I, and, and once again, we should mention that our new producer, Julian, after two weeks, he needed a vacation. <laughs> right. Two bleeping weeks, and he needed a two-week vacation. And left the country. He did. <laughs> On top of that. He really did. So does that mean for every week he works with us, he gets a week vacation? Maybe. Well, he is a photographer, so who knows? He, maybe he gets a gigs. And we're all for that. Yeah. Now that we got to know Patrick. Wait, wait. Patrick hasn't passed all the tests tonight. Well, Boy, we'll, but, we'll hold, hold off on judgment. Patrick, you do cross-country running. Do, yes. Do you ever do uh, any triathlons or anything? No, I hate swimming. Okay. Because... <laughs> When we're not here, we're in Panama City Beach, Florida, which has one of the biggest triathlons in the world. Iron Man. The Iron Man Triathlon. And it's uh, they go from swimming to biking. running to biking. And it's just it's insane. I mean, I mean, these people have my respect, but I'm sorry. They're all crazy. Yeah. No. But it's so much fun to go to a restaurant the night before to watch them all carbo loading. Like these huge plates of spaghetti. I'm like, wow, wouldn't that make you feel heavy and lethargic? Nope. They got to get their energy going so they can hit the I'm road. I'm sorry. Every time I have some spaghetti or pizza or something, it's just... Yes. And sometimes I actually get home before I fall asleep on the table. We had a scrambled egg before we came to work tonight. I was like, I don't know if I can make it. I'm so tired now. I don't know. Well, I hope you guys will stick around because we do have a fun show planned. We have a, a bunch of fun things going on tonight. Uh, in fact, uh, Ron, you're probably going to uh, enjoy. Well, actually, I think you'd enjoy the whole show. But, I usually uh, do. But later <laughs> tonight, right. we've got an in-studio performance from uh, blues legend Wayne Baker Brooks. Wow. Who wow. is going to be uh, kicking off Chicago Blues Fest, but he's going to kick it off with some uh, in-studio stuff uh, on our show. Well, yeah. I thought it was going to be hard to top last week. But uh, yes, Corky and oh, Ernie so, Watts. That oh. was just amazing. But Corky and Ernie were just incredible. And speaking of Corky and Ernie, uh, Corky is part of a movie that we're going to be talking about mm-hmm. tonight. We're going to be talking with the directors of Born in Chicago, the film, which is going to be shown as part of Chicago Blues Fest. Right, right. We'll give you all the details on that. Yeah, we should have some things happen in Chicago. You know, Gospel Fest is going on over at the Chicago Theater. It's um, Steve Martin and Martin Short, and then uh, Taylor and 65,000 of her closest friends. Yep. My favorite thing about the um, the the pictures that I'm seeing from the Taylor Swift concerts all around the country are the um, mother-daughter combos. Yeah, you know the the moms say, "Yeah, I I really liked her too, and that's why my daughter likes her." And now, you know, my daughter's in her twenties, and here I am in my forties, and we're going to be sharing this experience, and that's pretty cool. And I forget, did I put the the picture of? The Taylor set up on my page or on our uh, Stephen John show page. Yeah. Bob, have you seen the picture of the semis that arrived on Thursday for her show? Oh, yeah. 50. Oh, yeah. Five, zero. Five zero semis with all of her stage equipment. 
And our buddy who took that picture, Barry Butler, mm-hmm. he's at the concert tonight. So he put a shot, a selfie of himself way up in the the, the nosebleed section because that's where he wants to get that great mm-hmm. panoramic shot of the crowd. So I sent him a quick text and I said, you know, if you're up later tonight, you can call and give us a review because he really only goes to shows that he likes. Yeah. And then he takes some fabulous pictures. He doesn't but good just go grief. for that. It, and I love Taylor, but I'm sorry, those ticket prices, I can't think of anybody in the universe that I would pay some of those ticket prices again she doesn't have control over that yeah i get I do, that i don't believe she and i think that's why she gives a three and a half hour show when she takes to the stage because she realizes some people have paid literally thousands of dollars yeah. to be in the stands and uh i don't know what's going to happen because there's no one i want to see for hundreds of dollars the most expensive ticket i ever purchased and it was a lot if you consider it was 1977 paul mccartney was 150 dollars mm-hmm. and in 77 and that was not a scalped seat either and it was not on the main floor but i wanted to see a beetle and i'm trying to think what but was you the... saw all the beetles for five dollars yeah i did <laughs> at, at no. comiskey park all of five dollars all the beatles plus jackie DeShannon, uh cannibal and the headhunters um oh and i'm trying to think of who else was uh was on the show for five dollars five dollars yeah mm-hmm. and your ticket was carved in stone right yeah <laughs> but i'm trying to think what the most expensive concert is because we saw clapton yeah Actually, we saw Clapton twice. Rod Stewart. Garth Brooks was the cheapest ticket ever purchased. Wasn't Garth like $17 or something? I stood in line outside Carson's for Ticketmaster, and there was a whole group of of tickets that were being sold for, you're right, it might have been like $35 for two tickets. Mm -hmm. And when we got there, there were people walking through the cheap seats and picking out folks that they would move down to the first row, which was really nice. And so part of the fun was you're sitting there hoping that that stranger Mm -hmm. walking by you is going to grab you by the nape of the neck and take you downstairs never happened but i was perfectly happy where we were but i'm trying to think of what the most expensive ticket we've ever probably a couple hundred for two maybe a hundred each i don't know because we saw mccartney yeah i think that was the one where it was a couple hundred for two or uh bob seger oh that wasn't real expensive that was a great show it was excellent yeah with a group as the openers that nobody remembers, the Georgia Satellites. Love them. Keep your hands to yourself. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm. You know what? Before we get up to news time, I want to do a really quick round robin. May I do that? You may do that. And it's your say, show. tonight we have Ron Everson listening from the UP of Michigan. Also listening from Bloomington, Indiana is Tony. West Lafayette is tuned in. That's Elizabeth. Peoria, Kathy's listening tonight. Carol is down in South Florida. Our buddy Bobby is in Sandwich, and Chuck is over in Hobart, Indiana, on Tinley Park in Highwood in Oregon, Illinois, listening. And we appreciate all of you tuning in. And uh, you can follow us on our Facebook page to find out what's going on and tell us where you're listening. Put your hand on the radio. Say amen, everybody. Amen. Yes. Amen. Born Woo. in Chicago. That's good Good medicine, isn't oh, it? Get your man. heart started. I guess. Steve King and Johnny Putman at WGN Radio. And we're going to be talking about a lot of blues tonight. Mm-hmm. Getting you ready for Blues Fest starting on Thursday of this coming week. 
There are some very cool things going on with yeah. Blues Fest. One of them is going to be a, a showing of an extraordinary movie. A documentary called Born in Chicago, and that's what you just heard, Born in Chicago. And tonight we have with us on the program the directors of the documentary, Born in Chicago. With us in the studio is John Anderson, and on the West Coast is your buddy and co-director, Bob Sarles. How are you tonight, Bob? Hello, Bob. Hello, Bob. Breaker, breaker, Bob. Yes. <laughs> oh, ah, hi, there Bob. is Bob. Hi, Bob. Hi. Good Not, to be here. Thank you so much. Well, hey. well, you say good to be here. Where is here for you? San Francisco, right in the heart of San Francisco, California. Nice. And with us in the studio, also a very nice location, I think we would all agree. John Anderson is with us. Hi, John. Hi, Johnny. Hello, Steve. And, John, you're a local guy, aren't you? That's right. Yep. Not born and raised here. No. But been uh, here most of my life. Yeah. I'm a Chicagoan. By all all right. We should tell people that uh, Bob and John are both award-winning filmmakers. Um, Bob is an award-winning filmmaker and television producer. And uh, you, uh, Bob, you did a movie about uh, Mike Bloomfield. Is that right? Yes, I did. Yeah, Sweet Blues, a film about Mike Bloomfield, Chicago's own Mike Bloomfield. And, John, you're Grammy-nominated and Emmy-winning director, and you worked with the Beach Boys and one of our favorite human beings on Earth, Sam Lay. Yeah. <laughs> we adored that man. Every time he came into the studio, he was so unassuming, so soft-spoken, and when you could get him wound up after midnight, it well, was heaven. <laughs> I will never forget the, the first time we met him, and he was wound up because he'd just flown in in the airplane he flew. Uh, airline broke the neck of his guitar. Oh, yeah, and Sam was not a happy camper no. that night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, his, his his footprint and fingerprints run all through this film. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's start with you, John, because it really does start with you going back to 2008 at the Park West, right here in Chicago. That's right. I lobbied to get a job shooting a show by Chicago Blues Reunion. Uh, which is a blues band on Out the Box Records, and four of the stars of that group, Nick Gravenitis, Harvey Mandel, Corky Siegel, and Barry Goldberg, are important parts of this story, you know, of these tough white kids who made it into the clubs on the south and west side Mm -hmm. and came out with the blues. And so after 2008, after you did that, you decided that there was a movie to be made about these white white kids getting the guts to go to these clubs on the south and west side so that they could learn at the feet of, of, of the masters of blues. That's right. As we did the interviews related to the concert, uh, Barry Goldberg was my right-hand man, and we realized we really had something special here. I mm-hmm. kind of knew the story already, being a longtime Chicagoan and a, a musical love, music lover. But Barry and I then, with the help of uh, Tim Martin, the executive producer of the film, traveled the country collecting the rest of the interviews that are in the film. And we did a we showed a first cut, a rough cut here in Chicago at the Film Row Cinema, which is on Wabash. Whoops. Which is on Wabash. We did a screening there in 2010. It went great. Barry gave it to his buddy, uh, Elliot Roberts, who manages Neil Young, showed it to Neil. Neil liked it. Neil showed it to Bob Dylan. He liked it. Get out. Seriously, I'm not making this stuff (laughs) up. And And you're like, pinch me, Bob Dylan actually looked at my film. That's right. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that gave us the impetus to go out and shoot the rest of the interviews and, and get the film done proper. But then it sat for a while. 
it languished for I'd say three or four years. You had really. other jobs that you, you. I had other jobs that had had a successful run uh, when I, I made it in Chicago the first time. It was called White, Black, and Blues, and mm-hmm. it went uh, through another process and was renamed uh, Born in Chicago. Had some great screenings at Lincoln Center and at the Siskel Center here. Mm-hmm. I remember and, that uh, at the Grammy Museum, and also got some good write-ups in Rolling Stone and the New York Times. And I thought we were on our way. I really yeah. did. I was starting work on the uh, Sam Lay film, which turned into work on the Paul Butterfield film and the film inexplicably languished until our man bob sarles came along in about 2018 all right what we're going to do we're going to take a quick break because we lost bob there somehow yeah, and we're the trying ether. to reconnect with him and i have no idea if the the, the blues got him no <laughs> we'll take a quick break uh, patrick and then you can try to reconnect with bob and we'll come back on the other side of this break here on wgn Steve King and Johnny Putman at WGN Radio. Every time I hear something like that, I, I forget who said it, but uh, I go back to the quote, why do they call it the blues when it makes you feel so good? <laughs> that is just, Absolutely. I love that track. Well, that, uh, that actually takes us back to what we were just talking about, the movie um, Born in Chicago, all started back in 2008. One of the directors is with us in the studio, John Anderson, and that little clip we heard, Killing Floor, was from that concert in 2008, right? That's right, yes, and Wolf doing that song is in the film. Amazing. So then we got all the way up to where you, Bob Sarles, got involved in the movie. We lost you, but we said good things about you while you were gone. <laughs> okay. <I'm back. laughs> so how did you then pick up on the movie after it had languished for a few years, Bob? Well, uh, I had uh, completed a film uh, around 2015 that got some heat on uh, the film festival circuit. And I had a background in, in uh making music documentaries mm-hmm. uh it's a kind of a small world uh the, those of us who are in in this field of making music documentaries we all kind of know each other mm-hmm. so the producers of this film uh came around to me and the film had gone through a, a, a lot of evolution since john had left the project and 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 what happens is often with films they get to the point of diminishing returns when they get worked on a little bit too much mm-hmm. and i think that some of the magic that john had kind of got lost in subsequent subsequent cuts and uh so they came to us and asked if we could we could fix the film and uh i i said i would be willing to but i didn't really want to just take the cut that existed and move it around and try to fix the cut that if they were willing to make the investment i thought that we could what we could do is take the film in the direction that it seemed to want they wanted it to go which was less of a concert film uh with documentary material to give the concert context it's a more of a documentary a historical documentary that told the story that tied up the disparate stories of all the different uh, characters all the different uh, musicians that are part of the story uh, as one story arc and uh, so they they agreed to hire uh, me and my uh, filmmaking partner Christina Keating, who also happens to be my wife, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and we uh, worked from a, a script that was written by uh, music uh, journalist and historian Joel Selvin, uh, a local uh, 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 journalist here in San Francisco, uh, who wrote for the uh, Chronicle for 40 years, and in the last uh, 15 years has been uh, uh, writing a lot of great uh, music histories, uh, and we had collaborated before, and so he came up with an exhaustive script that became the blueprint of the film that we uh, eventually uh, made. And I was able to incorporate, you mentioned earlier that 
I had been involved in uh, producing and directing a documentary about Michael Bloomfield. Because that story overlaps, so we're kind of mining the same story, I was able to repurpose a lot of the interviews that I did with that for that film mm-hmm. with a lot of people who are no longer with us, like Ted Helms and, and Bill Graham. And uh, I was able to interview a lot of the, the San Francisco musicians uh, who were part of the psychedelic music scene who were heavily influenced by what was happening in Chicago, particularly by the Paul Butterfield Blues Band when they when they came out west and started playing at the at the Fillmore, and so uh, that that became when when we came out to it, and we came up with uh, this version of the film. I had actually made an argument at a certain point that we should change the title of the film because John had had screened the previous version a number of times, and it was well received. And I didn't want and this is really sort of a different film based on uh, John's same source materials. Uh, and I didn't want it to be confused that people had seen this film before. And so the challenge was to come up with a better title than Born Chicago. And we never did. So <laughs> the name of the film is Born in Chicago. And pe- there may be some confusion with, with the earlier versions of the film. But this really is a, a different film yeah. than, than what it's been screened before. Well, I have to tell uh, both of you, and uh, I'm uh, putting this the partly personal sign on this. I'm so excited about this because... This version of the film, for anybody who is is new to this, this version of the film is about the Chicago influence and the Chicago musicians who were appreciating the blues performers that came before them and how a lot of these blues performers took them under their wings. And again, partly personal... Corky Siegel and I went to school together at South Shore High School. Corky was a sax player in one of my early bands. And I can remember back uh, in the day, back when we were playing on uh, Well Street, it would have been uh, uh, 60-something, going down to see our friend Mike Bloomfield, who had just started working with the Paul Butterfield Blues Band. I mean, the the whole association of... uh, Chicago kids who would grow up on this music and at night listen to WVON or before that WGES or Sam Evans uh, uh, down in the uh, turning on the blue light going down in the basement uh, sitting on the orange crate with the greasy hamburgers. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I must say. It, it, and there there was no color barrier. Can you or can you not play bass? Can you or can you not play guitar? Can you or can you or not sing? It was all about the talent. Had nothing to do with whatever the color was. That was not even a part of the equation. But I'm so glad that you guys are telling that story and how these musicians from Chicago, with their appreciation for the blues, how it really resulted in a resurgence of interest in these roots blues artists. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, well, you know, the group was basically Nick Gravanitis, who was the leader. You know, he really was the bigger, tough guy. He was a little bit of a hoodlum. The other guys kind of wanted <laughs> <No>. to be. <laughs> yeah, Nick so, was. All right, Nick, if you want to go, we'll go with you, but... Well, that's right. I mean, they hid behind him. Well, Charlie M- Musselwhite carried a, a a hammer for protection. Oh, okay. Nick allegedly carried more than that. 
Um, but he and Butter were really the leaders of the group and, mm-hmm. and Bloomfield. And they, you know, uh, Bloomfield, as it says in the film, got Barry to go down with him to the to uh, Silvio's on the southwest side on mm-hmm. Lake Street. Um, you know, the other guys were Elvin Bishop, of course, was part of the gang. No. No, uh, Elvin Bishop, who nowadays dresses like a country bumpkin, which is so funny yeah. with his overalls, and and then when he starts playing the blues, you're going, dang, you know, he learned right. from and the I'll, best. Go ahead, Bob. So much of that is so much of that is an affectation of, of Elvin's for his, uh, you know, for his his fans. If you know anything about Elvin, he's actually an absolutely brilliant guy. Oh yeah, and he had and he had a full scholarship uh, to the University of Chicago. Yeah. So. Uh, and, and he could have gone anywhere he wanted. He was like, you know, uh, had scholarships all over the place. So he's a really brilliant guy. And, and a lot of that is sort of an affectation, sure. that, that, the big boy routine. Yeah, yeah. And Harvey Mandel I left out and Steve Miller. And you're right, mm-hmm. uh, Steve. If you couldn't play, you were gone, white or black. Yeah, and yeah. You know, The beauty of this is all those 10 guys that I just mentioned and a couple I forgot, they could play, man. They yeah. were masters of their instrument. Yep. And that's what that's what the connection was. Yep. One of my favorite pictures, um, it's a still shot, it's um, Muddy and Corky Siegel, who is a a small man, practically sitting on Muddy's lap. He's sitting on the the arm of the sofa, and it's like like father and son. It's so sweet every time I see that picture. And Corky was in the studio with us last week, and, uh, you know, he's just... I think sometimes he has a pinch me moment, like, really, I'm here today because they gave me a chance to learn from them. And that's what the movie is really all about, is their story. Well, it was, it, it was more than just the music also. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you said, they, they broke bread together. They hung out together. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Bloomfield would, would babysit for Muddy's kids. <laughs> I mean, I love they, that. Were real, they really became family. It really became a loving relationship. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it really did transcend race. They em- embraced these kids. Now, I wouldn't say that it goes so far as to say it was colorblind, because it was the 60s. And mm-hmm. San Francisco, uh, San Francisco San, uh, the United States was a very racist place. I mean, oh, yeah. It still is. And it was yeah. even more so then and segregated. And, uh, and that was very much a, a part of the fabric of what was happening. But these guys were above that. You know, these guys decided to ignore that and not let that be part of their reality. And really, they became family. And they, they learned so much more than just the music. They learned, a, you know, a lifestyle. They learned uh, what I think mostly what they learned from these guys was integrity and i think they carried that through the rest of their careers yeah well that that was my original point not that uh, that society was colorblind but that the right. musicians were colorblind yeah. it was just about hey wow, have play? you heard this guy whoa yeah and to see some of these relationships come back to life 50 years later as we yeah. were traveling shooting these interviews for barry goldberg to walk in the room with hubert sumlin Oh. Yeah. When they saw each other, it was just beautiful, and they, you know, every memory came rushing back. We're talking about, you know, gigs. We're talking about girlfriends. We're talking about unmentionable stuff. You know, they just were entwined in an embrace that seemed to last a half hour. Yeah. Be- before we get too far into this, and I know we're going to have to break in a couple minutes for a, for a news break, but let's let everybody know what we're talking about, when they can see it, how they can see it, how they can get uh, get more information. Well, the film is called Born in Chicago. Our Facebook page is Born in Chicago, the film. Right, Bob? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And also, if you go to bornchicagothefilm.com, 
that'll take you to our Facebook page mm-hmm. as well. And it's been playing uh, around the film festival circuit for about a year, uh, and it has it won Best of Fest in Palm Springs in January. And it won Best Director at First Glance Philadelphia last year. And it, at the DC Indie Fest uh, last month, it won an award or it was nominated for a Circle Award. The big screening that's coming up is next Friday at 1 o'clock at the Chicago Cultural Center at the Claudia Cassidy Theater. Beautiful, newly refurbished theater. Um, it's sold out. I checked. It is. Um, but officially sold out officially yeah. but you know it's all kind of informal and you just make a reservation so there's a shot that if you show up you're going to get in but that's pretty cool though Mid- there may be people go ahead there may be people who made reservations who don't show up it's yeah not, you yeah know, if you if you come early then you may be able to get in and also uh, the big thing that we want people to know is that it's on uh, august 1st as they say in the industry there it's going to drop uh, on all uh, tvod Platforms that would be Amazon Prime, YouTube, Google Play, all the usual suspects for uh, uh, pay per view. You'll be able to download or rent uh, the film, and that's you know we're we're doing a big push to get the word out because the, the way it goes with these small documentaries, independent films, uh, they could be released on TVOD, but it could be like a tree falling in a forest unless yep. you kick up the kick up the dust and let people know about it. So. We're doing a lap around the film festival circuit and uh, and doing this round of interviews so that we can uh, create some word of mouth. So we hope that everybody who sees the film and enjoys it can go tell 10 of their friends to go see it. And that that's because there's no advertising budget. That's the sure. only way this film is going to uh, catch wind. Yeah, and I, I'll promise you this. The week before that drops, we'll be sure to talk about it here on the radio again to let our Chicago listeners know about it. Bob Sarles and John Anderson, sit tight. We're going to take a quick break and come back after our news here on WGN. Steve King and Johnny Putman at WGN Radio, and we have turned on the blue light, and we're down in the basement uh, up on the Orange Crete with the uh, greasy hamburgers. <sighs> Playing, singing, and talking blues. Yes. Yep. Make you feel good with some blues. Blues Fest is coming to Chicago next week. In fact, in uh, the midnight hour, we are going to be visited by, in studio, Wayne Baker Brooks, who's going to be kicking it off on Thursday. Right now, we're talking about a new documentary called Born in Chicago. It's going to be uh, shown on Friday at the Claudia Cassidy Theater, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, that was Howlin', and uh, John, uh, a couple of his children are going to be there on Friday, too, right? That's right. His two daughters, Barbara Marks and Betty Kelly, oh, are going cool. to join us. They're fans of the film, and uh, they're going to talk about it, and they're going to talk about their dad, and his 113th birthday will be the day after the screening. Wow. I was afraid you were going to say his 113 children. <laughs> <laughs> Because quite seriously, when, when, when we had Screaming Jay Hawkins in studio and he just casually oh, yeah. mentioned he had 87 children, I said, you're kidding, right? And he looked at me and goes, girl, I don't lie about stuff like that. And I went, oh, my. And, of course, when he passed away, that was a big story. All these children came out of the woodwork. That's right. <laughs> wow. And not to, cor- not to correct my host, but that was actually Muddy Waters on oh. that last track, not, oh. not Alan Wolf. Okay. I'm sorry but, about that. It's good music. That's okay. <laughs> anyway. I just wanted to set the record straight. That's fine. Um, what do you th- – I'm, I'm going to start with you, Bob. When you were putting together these interviews and you were interviewing people about the blues and, and watching some of the interviews with these performers who – they were just driven. It appears that this was what they had to do with their life. It was their destiny because once they were taken under the wing of these masters of the blues – 
they made it their life. They made it their life's work. What do you think it was about you know, the music that spoke to them so much? Some kid from the northwest side of Chicago or the north side of Chicago, some you know Jewish kid who, unless he was listening to it on the radio, wasn't being exposed yeah. to the music at home. What was it? Well, you know, Michael Michael uh, Bloomfield spoke to that. Uh, I, I don't know that we used it directly in the film, but uh, he did speak to that. There was something about... Uh, something about the history and heritage of the Jews that lended itself to a certain kind of understanding of the blues, even, even middle-class white kids. And it's not just a Jewish thing, but, but everybody has the blues. Everybody knows what this is about. Everybody can connect. And this music is so soulful and is so direct from the heart that it does transcend race. It does transcend culture and that it, it goes right to the heart. And, and, it's a human condition, you know, mm-hmm. and I think it just speaks to people and, and connected with them. And uh, like their mentors, uh, I don't think they had much of a choice in this in this lifestyle. It kind of chose that. Yeah. And, and once you were on the train, that was it. You know, you live you live that life and it's a hard life. And there's, you know, been a, there's been a lot of attrition. Uh, among the the people who are the, the part of the story, you know, mm-hmm. and then there's been there's been survivors. It's it's kind of just like life, you know. Sometimes mm-hmm. life is like storming the beaches of Normandy, and you look left and you look right, and then there's a, a, one less person there, and that's true in this story too. I've always been touched though by the the, the fact that it appeared that once these white kids made it and they were getting paid some good money, it seemed like it was part of their. Uh, well, that, that harkens back. That harkens back to this thing I said earlier about integrity. These mm-hmm. these, these young men had integrity, and you know, as soon as they started getting traction over on the north side, mm-hmm. and then later in in San Francisco, in New York, in Detroit, in Boston, they turned to the promoters that they were working for, and they said, "You know, we're a very good cover band of the real yes. thing." And yeah. These yes. guys. These guys are still out there and vital and in their prime, and you need to get them. And within months of the Paul Butterfield Blues Band first performing at the Fillmore Auditorium, which was the citadel of psychedelia, you know, mm-hmm. and LSD, you know, mm-hmm. the bands that were playing there, The Dead, The Airplane, Moby Grape, I'm a big fan of these bands, but by 1966, they could barely play their instruments. But the audience let them get away with it because they were so high on, on acid. Yeah. Then the butter band came in and, and kind of educated the audience, like this is how this music can be played. And they also upped the ante, the, the game for the local musicians here, and, and they all started becoming much more professional. But within months of the butter band first performing at the Fillmore, Bill Graham started booking in Muddy Waters and Al Wolf and Big Mama Thornton mm-hmm. and B.B. King. And <clears throat> this was actually a club that they were familiar with that had been part of the Chitlin circuit in the 40s and 50s but had now been reborn in the 60s as a psychedelic ballroom for young kids. And and B.B. King walked in there for the first time. He thought he was in the wrong place. (laughs) He saw all these white kids. You know, he tells that story in the film. And he asked Bill Graham to get him some some whiskey so he could take a belt so he could have the nerve to go out and perform for this audience that he was unfamiliar with. And it began for these guys a big career, a, 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 a great last chapter of their career that was very fruitful in terms of their acceptance and the acknowledgement that they got, and financially in terms of them being able to support their families. It was a great thing. These these young kids played it forward. And that's why mm-hmm. 
and I, I have to touch on this because it does come up sometimes. That's why this is not what is traditionally called a case of cultural appropriation, because cultural appropriation implies two things. It implies a theft, and it, it implies no payback. And in this case, it was no theft. This, this music was a gift from one generation to the next. Yep. Uh, and, and also, as soon as th- these kids started getting uh, traction in their careers, they paid it back immediately to their mentors. So mm-hmm. there, there was pay, there was it was a gift, and it was there was payback. I've got, and I'm so glad you make that point because it is so true. And uh, I was just glad to hear that I read where you had said something similar before, but it is so true that there was no cultural appropriation going on here. It's just everybody digging what everybody was doing and trying to to pay tribute to the people who brought this music to the table in the first place. One other thing that, that I find fascinating, and, and I'm going to go back to my friend Corky Siegel, you talk about the love of the blues and what is it? And with Corky, you're talking about a guy who plays the blues, but also he can more than hold his own in any classical environment you want to put him in. And yet, wow, does he gravitate to the blues, and can he play the blues? How true, how true. And back to the point of paying it back, you know, the Chicago Boys did their bit. If you recall, Fathers and Sons, that concert at the auditorium. Yeah. In August of 69, organized by Gravenitis and Bloomfield and Butterfield, uh, saluting Muddy, basically. Huge mm-hmm. success. The place was packed. Marshall Chess says in the film that he thinks it was all the kids who were hanging out at Big John's and all the other blues clubs yeah. all those years that finally had a place to go, a big mm-hmm. palace to go to. Uh, and it also turned out to be Muddy Waters' biggest record ever. Yeah. Absolutely true. To this day, right? That's right. Yeah. We have to take a quick break, but a little bit of a tease for the question uh, going to throw at both of you when we come back after a break. With all of the people that both of you individually got the chance to interview, put on film, was there any one that you thought, oh, whoa, whoa, you mean we're really going to be able to, to talk to fill in the blank? Think about that. We'll take a break. More coming up at WGN. That is one of those songs that I can remember. It it sounds great anywhere you hear it, but Juke coming out of a jukebox, ah. an old Seaberg jukebox <laughs> on a club. Man, nothing is better than that. That's just. Oh. <laughs> I thought you were going to say a, a car radio where you could roll down your windows and no, turn the, it up the, loud. The, I would say, well, a car a radio, but yeah. a jukebox in a club, yeah. It just doesn't get any better. We're talking about a can I, wonderful. Can I tell you something? Sure. I, I have a, I have a, I have a 1959 Seaberg jukebox in my dining room. Yes, you're absolutely right. See, you're bragging. And nothing is better. Like it. <laughs> it I love incredible. it. We're talking to the directors of a documentary, a new documentary called "Born in Chicago." You can catch it on Friday at one o'clock at the Claudia Cassidy Cultural Arts Center as part of the Blues Fest. Uh, show up uh, they've got a, a list of great people that are going to be there including these two guys bob sarles and john anderson who will be directing a q and a after the movie right that's right with dan bindert who will be QCing, and i hadn't mentioned that barry goldberg will be there the great nice. keyboard player cool he's got stories too uh, before we broke oh, yeah. I, I i i threw out a question and we'll start with you bob with all the people that you got the chance to to talk to was there any one that stood out where you thought, oh, we're really going to get him? 
Yes. Well, absolutely, absolutely. And and for me, it was I was very young. It was an interview that I did decades ago. It was one of the very first interviews I did. <laughs> excuse me for my Michael Bloomfield film that I had in the archives that I repurposed for this film. And that and, and that was with B.B. King. And oh, so yeah. not only was it one of the first interviews I ever did, it was, for me, it was like I was meeting God. You know, <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it. And I was so nervous going into it. But that lasted until he put my hand in his <laughs> and warmly shook it and looked me in his eyes and made me feel welcome. It made me feel immediately accepted and that he was grateful that I was doing what I was doing. That it was his, he made it seem that it was, uh, it was his pleasure to, mm-hmm. to be here. And, and, and it, it really just put me right at ease. And it was just a wonderful experience. And it gave me the confidence to do hundreds of interviews in my career uh, that I've done wow. since with very famous people. And I, and I never really get too tripped up whether I'm meeting <laughs> Keith Richards or Van Morrison. To me, it's, it's another, I mean, it's always a thrill but I don't get tripped up over it because mm-hmm. I realize that these are just other human beings. And But that all came from my first interview with B.B. King. Talk about interview baptism by fire. Uh, same question yeah. to you, John. Was there anybody that you were just... These are all bigger-than-life characters, you know? You, it would be easy to get that way probably about any of them, but really, no. You know, because I was put at ease in the same way that Bob describes by them, by them being so grateful that this film was being made, mm-hmm. for being... Uh, honest about being grateful for being part of it and for them to be so happy to be able to is that you bob uh for them to be able to spill their guts on the story they just wanted to get it on record so even a big tough guy like nick who's got a reputation and you know uh, all of them you know uh Paul, or rather, uh, Barry and Michael met at their third high school. You know, these guys all were kind of on, on the edge of society in general. Yeah. And you made, they made you forget about it as soon as you walked into the room. Out of all the people we've ever interviewed uh, in the world of blues, the one that really, really scared the daylights out of me was Coco Taylor. I was just like, ah. Uh, uh, Miss Taylor, you don't have to call me Miss Taylor. I said, uh, I, I, just, I lost it. And remember, it was a Sunday afternoon, and she wasn't really keen about being out in daylight mm-hmm. on a Sunday after a late night. And it just took a couple minutes before she warmed up, and I relaxed. And then we just started bonding on southern roots and things like that. But I was terrified of her because I had followed her at um, Biddy Mulligan's up on the north side by Loyola. And I'd seen her so many times and I'd seen her yell at audience members and things. I thought, oh, no, (laughs) really cool. Um, Before we let you guys go, I got to ask you, when you uh, put your your finger on the pulse of the music today, radio plays a part in this. You can't turn on the radio and get the kind of diverse music selections like we used to get what do you think the future of the blues is among younger people do you think they're gravitating toward it i know they're going to the shows but and where are they going to get it from yeah yeah fewer places to get it fewer people making it i'm not sure about that i know you see the blues festival and you get a false sense of security that the blues is alive and well and there are you know a couple of dozen of big big artists but there isn't that that medium level artist anymore that people can go out and see the real thing even in this town you know you've got to hunt hard to find a real blues club bob what about you i think we lost bob again for some reason i think he was sticking his phone into the jukebox speaker (laughs) and it's not our end he said it was his end of the line so we apologize for that bob um 
bottom line is it's going to be a big week for you. Are you going to be able to stick around and see any music at Blues Fest this oh, weekend? Oh, yeah, for sure. I want to go right. see uh, Barry Dolan's Get Is It the Key to the City or something like that on Thursday night. Oh. And Barry Goldberg is performing on Friday at Piano Forte. Is that Thursday, Thursday at Piano Forte? And Dietra Farr, she's getting a special award. Uh, Lynn Orman's in the studio with us. And um, uh, Lynn, are you going to punch in your microphone real quick? Because Dietra's getting a special award at uh, Blues Fest and something I think you've just posted about recently, right? Oops. Am I on? Yes, you, you are. are. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Yes. Dietra Farr, um, Catherine Davis, and Sugar Pie DeSanto. The three of them are sugar going to pie be. Sugar pie DeSanto. Yeah. Love my next yeah. lifetime, the I'm basement. coming back to sugar pie. Oh, <laughs> my God. In the basement, she and uh, Etta James' um, soulful dress, was it called? Anyway, along with Lynn Jordan and oh, uh, yes. Cheryl Youngblood, Sherry Weathersby, Joanna Connors. That is 2.30 on Friday or Saturday afternoon. I'm not sure which one it is. You can check out the Blues Fest um, schedule. It is Friday afternoon. Please tell Joanna Connors uh, that we said hello and she needs to get herself in here. Oh, my God. Okay, I will. But it's going to be great. And the three of those incredible women will get a proclamation from the city of Chicago. It's the second year of that stage, Women in Blues. And um, can I say one more thing? Yeah. Also, Barry Goldberg will be a part of the Chicago Blues Super Session, which is the after party with everybody. Willie Big Eye Smith's son, um, Kenny, on drums. Uh, Robert Stroger, 92-year-old Robert Stroger on wow. bass. Oscar Wilson and Barry Goldberg is going to do uh, Born in Chicago and about three, three or four songs at Reggie's on Friday night after Blues Fest. Very cool. And for, for anybody who doesn't know, Lynn Orman is uh, the best friend the Blues ever had. Amen. In You're Chicago. Here. So happy we can say really. that publicly because you worked tirelessly to get the thank word you. out about the Blues, Lynn. And when thank was the last you. time we saw you? At, uh, well, was it at Space? With a, with a, was it a James Hutter concert? Oh, boy. Yes, it might have been. It, it might have been. <laughs> yeah. the, the first time I was ever in studio with you was with a red Gibson guitar who yep. played it left-handed with yep. Eddie the Chief Clearwater. Yeah. yeah. Nice. And that's well, still one of those moments that, that stays with me. Thank you so much for your compliments. John Anderson, thank you for making the film. And thanks to Bob Sarles for making the film Born in Chicago. And I'm sure we're going to be hearing a lot more about it. And we'll catch up with you before August 1st to remind people that it's going to drop officially on all of the streaming um, platforms. And, uh, and good tell, luck. tell Bob we're going to buy him a new phone. <laughs> <laughs> Will do. Thanks, Thank guys. you, guys. <laughs> this has been fun. Uh, coming up next, we've got uh, Wayne Baker Brooks going to be joining us in studio. News is next in the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. Steve King and Johnny Putman at WGN Radio. Yeah, we have kept the blue light on. We're still down in the basement, uh, up in the orange crate with the greasy hamburgers. <sighs> it doesn't get much better than this. Mm, you are so right. With us in studio is a guy that, gosh, it's been 100 years since we had him in studio over at the old Tribune Tower, which, by yep. the way, it was five years ago today that we moved from the Tribune Tower to this palatial estate on the 18th floor on Wacker Drive. And back in the day, it was the middle of the night, Wayne Baker Brooks walked in with his daddy, Lonnie, yep. and it was so cool to yep. hang out with you guys. It was after midnight. Yes. It was in the wee hours yeah, th- of the morning. Well, wasn't it after, you, I think you'd just done a gig or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. That's when we, you know, 
are at our best, like after midnight. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. You know, some people just don't function that well. And then some people, like you, I walked down the hall to meet Wayne, and he's just wide awake and raring to go. He said, yep. I walked over yep. here. <laughs> yep. Well, thank you for joining us. This is such a treat because you got so many things going on. Yeah. Yeah. It's Blues Fest week, and um, I'm very honored to be a part of it. And um, well, You're going to be kicking off Blues Fest, right? Thursday. That's right. I, I feel like the Grand Marshal of the Blues Fest right now. <laughs> How cool is that? It is. It is. You know, I, uh, you know, usually, you know, Blues Festivals and the headline is usually a Friday or a Saturday or something like that. And when they presented it to me for Thursday, I was like, man, I'm a Friday and Saturday night act, man. I said, you know what? No, I'm going to go ahead and do it, man, because, you know, a lot of my family, a lot of my friends live here in Chicago. Yeah. A lot of my uh, fans and you know uh, huge fans are here in Chicago so I said you know what let me kick this thing Good. I'll let them know how we do it in Chicago main yes. stage <laughs> main stage yep. at the pavilion the Jay Pritzker pavilion Thursday night's good reason not to go to work on Friday yep. you know take a three day weekend and kick yep. it off on Thursday night I mean, prior to that on Wednesday you're going to be in WGN TV yep uh, daytime Chicago mm-hmm. yep um, at 10 o'clock in the morning Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. I'm sorry <laughs> that, that's that's cool. way too early for me. <laughs> nope. <laughs> but I'm just looking at your schedule, too, because then on the 9th, you're going to be, um, well, let's see. You've got a couple of things coming up in Chicago in July. You've got a mm-hmm. Chicago gig. Yep. And I'm uh, doing Reggie's uh, Saturday night, too, yeah. uh, 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 June 10th. Um, so they got three tonight? buses coming from the Chicago Blues Fest straight to Reggie's. That's cool. And uh, and then um, I'm doing Buddy Guys Legends uh, for the NASCAR street race around that time. Did you ever think in your life you'd see NASCAR coming to Chicago? No. But there are some people who think they are a part of NASCAR. <laughs> <laughs> That's yep. true. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so... So there are going to be festivities around the yeah, race, and the yeah. race is going to be over like that, but it's yeah. going to take us a couple of weeks to get it set up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, My buddies, uh, the Black Crows, are playing the, the, oh, really? the NASCAR Street Fest. Oh, that's street. fine. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, Wayne Baker Brooks, you're, uh, you're local, born and raised here. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a little surprised because I was reading that you didn't actually pick up the guitar until you were in your late teens. Yeah, I was about 19 years old. I started messing around with the drums around six years old five six years old and and it it sparked from my dad always having us help him write demos Mm -hmm. so he would like get some pots and pans and then he'll give me like spoons and and a knife and then he'll like tap on it and tell me the beat and he said now keep it right there and then he would have ronnie play bass lines on the guitar and then he would do his uh rhythm you know, and everything, mm-hmm. and think of words, and a lot of the stuff that he did for Alligator Records, Ronnie and I helped him with. Wow, the early, very, very early stuff, and it's just me just keeping a beat. I, you know, I can't remember any of the songs, you know, except for a couple of them. But most of them were like, "All right, let's do this." He tape it, and then we move on. Uh huh. But he, you know, he made it so much fun for us, you know. Yeah. He it, to to a point to where he would use it against us, like. <laughs> go do them dishes first and then you can come over and play with me <laughs> you do your homework yeah then yeah, you yeah, can yeah, play yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and we lost your daddy just a couple of years ago yeah 2017 yeah. yeah and wasn't there a day in june that was designated uh, lonnie brooks day june 12th yeah 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 
June twelfth is is officially Lonnie Brooks Day. What a talent! Too. Yeah. Gosh. I was just amazed that with Lonnie as your daddy, that that you didn't get into guitar till yeah. you were. Well, I mean, you were an old man by the time you started picking up guitar. I, I felt like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I started traveling with my dad around right after I got out of high school. I did a mm-hmm. little roofing and cutting down trees and everything um, until some hot tar hit my toe. Oh. <laughs> oh. I was like, man, I got a talent, man. Forget this mess here, man. <laughs> and I walked off and I never did it again. And I went into a tour bus and I traveled with my dad. And he was like, well, you're going to have to handle my amps, my guitars, and the keyboards, and the drums, and everything. So I was the stage manager. Mm-hmm. So he would stay at the hotel for sound check. So I would sound check, you know, make sure the guitar is working properly and everything. So mm-hmm. I got so familiar with it and it felt so natural to where it was like hey dad i want to start playing guitar now Mm -hmm. so he was like oh really so after the gig we went home and he gave me one of his guitars and he had his other guitar and he was like well do this and he he did something like and then i did it just like that oh and i mean like he was shocked (laughs) and then he said all right we'll do this and i did that and he was like whoa and then he did something like a bb and i did it the same way he's like oh man you got this man (laughs) he said you got this and i I became self-taught after that believe it or not wow was it was there a point where your dad said you got this. Was there a point where you thought, I got this? No. <laughs> I, I was a year in, and my dad was telling me that I'm good enough to have my own band. And I did not believe it. A lot of people would tell me, hey, man, you should get up. I never would get up and jam with them. I was too afraid. Mm. I didn't think I was good enough because they're great. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They would like monster talents up mm-hmm. there and i i just knew man there's no way i could like even compare to that mm. and but they was like no nah, get up there man you better than a lot of people that's out here right now you know i think he was just boosting me up and everything because i was gradually growing mm-hmm. until one night at fitzgerald's i'm gonna be playing there too in mm-hmm. uh, in the fall um i think it was like 1990 mm-hmm. i want to say and, you know, I was guitar teching and, you know, the place was packed. And my dad said, you know, I got another son that plays guitar, y'all. Y'all want to hear him? <laughs> and they went, yeah. And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then he was like, come on up. And then and then I was like, no, no. He said, all right, the people, y'all want to hear Wayne play the guitar? And everybody just shouted even louder. So I went in the back, and I grabbed the guitar, and I went on stage, and I played Sweet Home Chicago with my dad for the first time. And, man, when I I was playing the rhythm, and then he was like, all right, your time to solo. And when I started solo, in the middle of the solo, I, I opened my eyes, and all these people rushed the stage and started reaching at me. Oh, and my dad was looking, and my brother was looking like, <laughs> like, what? whoa. 
And, man, I got that rush that I'm still chasing to this day. Oh, my gosh. It was a rush that was unbelievably. This, that was the moment that I knew this is what I was going to be doing for the rest of my life. Wow. Wow. We're talking with Wayne Baker Brooks. He's in studio with us. Yes, he's got a guitar with him. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk about that in just a few, but we're going to take a quick break and come back here on WGN. Steve King and Johnny Putman at WGN Radio. That is Wayne Baker Brooks, who is in the studio with us. And uh, before we get into anything else, because we're probably going to talk and talk, 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 talk. So we're going to shut up and shut up and shut up and shut up and shut up. And what would you like to do? <laughs> oh, yeah, I play a song. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'll play one of mine. Um, this is called "Tell Me." Um, you know, it's contemporary. You know, blues and you know, blues rock. You know, I'm in that. Um, I'm straddling the fence of the old school touring with my dad and mm-hmm. his friends, BB Buddy and Junior Wells, and you know, all the rock stars and that love blues. But then, you know, I'm here in this era as well, too. Mm-hmm. And I like to write songs about love, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Man, that was nice. That Thank was you. such Thank a you. treat. And we're seeing you play an acoustic guitar. Yeah, yeah. I've, Does that feel weird to you? Because you're always on stage with electric, various electric guitars. Well, you know, when you're at the house, you don't want to have to plug up all the yeah. time. And and when you don't plug up, you can't hear it, you yeah. know, the electric guitar. So I found this at a pawn shop. And it looked it's at me. It's a Fender. Yes, it's a Fender uh, acoustic. And it looked at me and said, hey, Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how it happens. Yeah. <laughs> it sounded like Steve. Absolutely, that's said, how it happens. I didn't need to buy it. It needed me. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and then you have a case of gas, which is guitar, guitar acquisition, acquisition syndrome. <laughs> and, and as you know, Wayne, every guitar teaches you a new song. Absolutely. And I've been writing like a madman on this one, too. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. That's really nice. But you are pictured with a white electric guitar that is... Gorgeous. Beautiful white Gibson ES355. Yeah. Is it a 355? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's three, 355. Yeah, 335. 335? Yeah, I think it's yeah. 355. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 355. Yeah. I, it was given to me. It was given to me by Jimmy Vivino from the Conan O'Brien really? show. And uh, it looked like Eric Clapton's. No, it's 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 uh, made like Keith Richards. I'm sorry. I, I, I meant Keith. Yeah. Yes. Keith Richards yeah. with the Bigsby. Yep. Um, and uh, he called it Dwight because mm-hmm. uh, he tell his guitar tech, hey, give me the white one over there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dwight. <laughs> so he called it Dwight. So I called mine uh, uh, Vino. Oh, good. Short for Vino. Sure. And, and it's white, so it's like white wine. It's smooth like white wine. Yeah. But Well, now that's the other thing. You have to name your guitars. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes it takes a while, but they will tell you what their name is. Yeah. You're talking yeah. to a man who has 55, so. <laughs> yeah. and every one of them has well, a name. Well, I, I keep telling Johnny, she has hundreds of pair of shoes. I only have 55 <laughs> you guitars. Know, you know what I'm saying? What I wonder is, how, how did you come up with all the names for all those they guitars? They tell you. They, they tell you what they their tell names you. are. Yeah. Because Steve will say to me, oh, oh, Punkin just told me its name. Yep. And I yep. go, Punkin, that's got to be the, the orange one, yeah. the orange Gretsch. Yeah, yeah. Because yep. it's big and round yeah. and orange. <laughs> yeah. That's a, yeah. Luther Allison, another great uh, Chicago blues legend. And he left me uh, a 1962 Fiesta Red wow. Fender Stratocaster. Hello. And I named it Lulu. 
Oh. Okay. You know, I've learned being on the, the sidelines watching guitar players over the years, some of the most generous people in the world. Yeah. I mean, seriously, yeah. here, this guitar speaks to you. You need to have yeah. it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, dang, yeah. that's sweet. Yeah. Yeah. He <laughs> but it comes sweetheart. around to you. you he know? was a sweetheart because, you know, he, he wants the music to keep going. So yeah. mm-hmm. he left me one. He left my brother one. He left oh. Joanna Connor one. Lucky Peterson one. Wow. And uh, I think we were the only four. And um, the rest, you know, the family kept Bernard, yeah. Bernard and, and the family kept them. Um, but um, that guitar is so special to me. Lulu. Yeah, Lulu. Aww. Lulu. Maybe. I used to bring it out a lot, but I was like, man, too many people eyeing that guitar, man. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> is Lulu the one that if, God forbid, there's a fire, you can only grab one? Lulu I'm, is the one? Lulu. I'm going to get all of mine, man. <laughs> I'm going to have half my butt burn off, man. <laughs> I'm loving with your guitar. Because Johnny knows that, that, that if, God forbid, that, that happens, as long as we're going to be safe, she knows that she's going to get Baby. Baby is my 1959. I'm the only owner. 59 Gibson ES355. Ooh, ooh. Red with the Bigsby. And yeah. Did you happen to have a stereo? Three? No. Ah, this, is, this is mono. <laughs> man, my dad had one that. Oh man, I, I felt. I bet with the variatone. Yeah. Okay. Now, yes. you, now you yeah. guys are geeking out. We're yeah. gonna take a break <laughs> and get an update on news because Gabe's waiting in the wings here. Uh, stand by. We'll be back with Wayne Baker Brooks after the news. Steve King and Johnny Putman at WGN Radio. That's <laughs> Wayne Baker Brooks, who just had a guitarist nightmare happen to him. <laughs> Any guitar player that has ever played acoustic guitar, there is something about uh, the, the the universe. Uh, okay, <laughs> I have to take a picture of him doing this. <laughs> the universe is saying, "Okay, you're going to need to play this guitar in about a couple minutes." So I am going to swallow your pick. <laughs> and so he's got his guitar upside down, shaking it, trying to get the dog on pick out of it. <laughs> <laughs> and you know if you go to another pick, it's going to rattle the whole time you're yeah. playing. So that's not going to well, work. Well, it could make for an interesting bit of percussion. Uh, yeah. Oh, Wayne Baker Brooks. It's my dad's pick, too. Man. Oh, <laughs> hang on to that for yeah. sure. Wayne Baker Brooks is in studio with us right now, and he's going to be opening a, a Blues Fest on Thursday. And uh, I've got to tell you that a um, bunch of texts have come in from a 630 area code. I was blessed to see Lonnie perform many times, sometimes with one or both the sons who were college age. I'm so happy they're both doing great as solo acts. Aww. So thank you for texting in with that. Uh, then another texter says, I'm coming home from a gig. This is from a 773. How cool, keeping me awake as I'm driving home with Wayne Baker Brooks, or WBB, as he wrote here, so he knows you. (laughs) I have to give you maybe one of the oddest compliments that you've ever received. One of the things I love about your music, and I wonder if this goes back to the early days when you were playing a kind of a percussive thing, Mm -hmm. your songs, every one of them, always has a really strong groove yeah is that that, did you get that from your your kind of percussive roots absolutely man like when i think about the stories that i tell you about helping my dad with the demos you know i look at it as my first songwriting class Mm -hmm. okay like in retrospect yeah like then i didn't know 
but that was what we were, you know, uh, groomed with. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And keeping that beat, you yeah. know, making sure that beat was strong. And, and it's always right in the and pocket. And I couldn't mess it up because if mm-hmm. I mess up, yeah. you know, it would mess him up. So yeah. mm-hmm. it was always to keep it, you know, going, yeah. constant. And I bring that. It's in me. It's in DNA. Boy, do you bring that. Yeah. Yeah. Take a minute and talk about your band that you travel with, because we're tickled to have you here solo, but you have quite a a, a band. Yeah. Uh, my bass player, Kenny Kinsey, he's uh, famous from, you know, the uh, the Kins Report, mm-hmm. Big Daddy Kinsey, and and his brother Donald and Ralph, and they will go out and do their thing. But he's been with me for 18 years. And, wow. And uh, Jerry Porter, who played with everybody from Buddy Guy to Junior Wells to magic slim to eddie the chief clearwater to um been on stage with santana steve ray vaughn eric clapton you know a lot of people and uh he's been for 18 years but he won't be able to make it because he's having a a health issue right Mm -hmm. now so um so mark clay Otis Clayson is uh, oh, filling in man, for him, Otis. and he's filling in for the rest of my dates. Um, oh. He's been with me, um, filling in for a while. And then uh, Scott Tippin, who's been with me for about a good eight, maybe nine years now. He's a great guitarist as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we, we're looking forward to it, man. It's... it's uh, you know, we like to take people on a journey, man, mm-hmm. you know, a musical journey. I like to let people know where I'm from, musically speaking, mm-hmm. where I'm at and where I'm going mm-hmm. throughout my set. So uh, it's interesting because I, I play a lot of traditional, you know, Chicago yeah. blues up front to get people familiar. Like, mm-hmm. hey, you know, this is where I come from. And then I'll play my dad's songs, mm-hmm. which I found kind of, uh, well, in the past, you know, my dad always taught us, be yourself. Don't do nobody else's stuff. Write your own stuff. Yep. That's how you're going to stand out. Yep. If you, you know, fall into, you know, playing covers and, you know, every night people are going to like that. They're going to love it because they love those songs. Mm-hmm. But they're not liking your songs. They're liking that person's songs. Yeah. So do your own stuff, right? So. I got into this, I'm going to write all my songs, I ain't doing nobody's stuff, and I excluded my dad music. Mm-hmm. And, after, you know, <clears throat> after he passed, I was like, what better way to let people know where I'm from and to keep his legacy going mm-hmm. is to add his music. Yeah. And I started, and I was so afraid of it, not only uh, uh, because I, you know, wanted to be original, but his stuff is so doggone good, man. Yeah. I was like, man, I can't sing like that. Mm-hmm. I can't play like that, you know? And I started, the more and more I started to like, all right, before it was the rhythms that mm-hmm. I would learn because I was his band director and mm-hmm. and band leader and musical director and everything. So I would learn all the rhythms and teach, you know, the band, you know, what's supposed to go down. And, and but I would stay away from the, his leads and right. his vocals. Right. And then, you know, I said, you know what? I'm gonna start listening to songs that I think that I could sing. I think that I could play, and that's where I started with mm-hmm. his music. So I incorporated like three songs of his in my set, and man, every night someone comes up to me in tears. 
Mm. Man, I used to watch your dad mm-hmm. play, man, and you just brought back memories, man. And, <laughs> and, and and another guy, I used to book your dad. Oh my God, ladies! Oh, I love your dad, and you just played one of my favorite songs. And it it's it's like that's how you keep his legacy going. Yep. Yeah. That's amazing. Nothing wrong with being yourself, but nothing wrong with showing where you came from. That's right. That's right. You know, and that that's, you know, being, you know, independent, that's what I found out. That's how I found how to find new fans mm-hmm. is um, letting them, they want to know who you are. Mm-hmm. If, if they never heard of you, they're like, who is this dude? That's the first question. Who is this dude? Mm-hmm. So I figured if I incorporate who I am in my set and no one have ever heard of me before, now they know who I am. Mm-hmm. They know exactly where I'm from. They know exactly where I'm at, and they know exactly where I'm going. Mm-hmm. But the, there's a fine line to that, and you walk it beautifully. Where I'm going with this, just this week I was listening to a friend's new CD. And the first song was basically repeated 12 different times on that album. Mm -hmm. It was all, yeah, that's what this person does, and they're going to do it and do it and do it and do it and do it. You start off, and there's peaks and valleys and turns and Mm -hmm. stuff. It's all who you are, Mm. but it's you're not just one book. Yeah. You're a whole library. Yeah. And that's what I love about your music. Yeah. That's one of many things I love about your music. Well, well, you know, um, that's why I, you know, I was a little stubborn when I started playing guitar, um, because you know my dad and my brother be like, man, you know, I could show you that stuff, uh-huh. and I'd be, nah, I, I want to get it on my own, you know, um, and I, I figured that if I learned from someone else their style, that I'm going to copy that style mm-hmm. i'm gonna fall into that i'm gonna get comfortable with that and i'm gonna be okay with that for the rest of my career and mm-hmm. i was like nah that's not me i've always been different i've always been doing things my way it may not seem the right way to certain people but once i get to the finish line it, ah now i see what <laughs> yeah. you mean you know so have you um, written that song? I've always been different because you should. No, no, no. no that that is that, a title. That, that that's is, a good title. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're talking with Wayne yeah, Baker yeah. Brooks, and we're going to give you the whole rundown because he's going to be a lot of places you can catch him, including on television, ten o'clock in the morning on Wednesday morning on WGN TV. Stay with us here on WGN. Steve King and Johnny Putman of WGN Radio. We could let that play, but if we did, we wouldn't get a chance to talk with and hear some more music from Wayne Baker Brooks. And Wayne, during the break, we were talking about this big award you're going to be getting on August 2nd and 3rd. It's going to take you to Mississippi, I yep, think, Yep, Tunica, right? Mississippi. Just Tunica. And, um, yeah, I'm being honored with a Little Milton Campbell Lifetime Achievement Award. Nice. How cool. Yes, that is way cool. I'm being honored along with uh, Morgan Freeman, the actor. Unreal. And Boo Mitchell, the famous producer down at Royal Studios yeah. in Memphis that mm-hmm. like did a lot of the Bruno Mars and sure. Al Green and 
But nobody a famous. Host of everybody. Yeah, nobody famous. <laughs> nobody famous. <laughs> <laughs> and then so, you're going to play. And William Bell. William Bell has been on it as well, too. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. nice. Yep. Then you're going to play Morgan Freeman's Club. Yep. Ground that. Zero. Yep. In oh, uh, Biloxi. Have you played there before? Never. This is my first time playing there. And I was trying to get the Clarksdale one, the, the very first one, uh-huh. the Ground Zero uh, Blues Club. And uh, I guess I wasn't Delta Blues enough, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. No, they already have somebody playing the Congratulations, that I was though. That you got a great summer ahead of you. Yeah, yeah it's really amazing. It. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, it because um, Wayne Baker Brooks and his band are going to be at um, the Hard Rock Casino in Northern Indiana. Yep. Buddy Guys Legends on the first. The Hard Rock is on Ju- uh, June 24th. Buddy Guys Legends on July 1st. That's for NASCAR weekend, and then Antones uh, on the 21st of July. And people can follow you because again. You're hopping up all around the country. Yeah, um, I'm performing uh, Antone's anniversary party. You know, nice. Antone. You know, they had a great relationship with a lot of Chicago blues acts yeah. back in the '70s. Right, and they would he would like fly them down there, drive them down there, mm-hmm. coming to Chicago, pick them up. However, to get them down at Antone's, mm-hmm. Muddy Waters, all the greats. It was Buddy. a special night the night we had Antoine and Hubert Sumlin in studio. Yes. Yeah. He brought Hubert in here wearing oh, a red man. suit. Yeah. <laughs> a shiny red suit. Yep. And he walked in and he quietly said to me, I would have dressed if I'd known you were here. And I'm like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> he was smooth. Yeah, Hubert, I think he was man. in his 90s at that point. You know? Hubert, <laughs> we could go all over the place, yes, but I could. think we should uh, stop flapping our jaws. And what would you like to play? Yes. Oh, man, I, you know, speaking of Hubert. I, I I love this uh, song that I add in my set all the time, and it's a Howlin' Wolf song, and it goes like this. Yes, 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 yes. yes. <laughs> that was oh, so good. Yeah. Thank you. I'm just thinking of that guy driving along. You know, now his car is going a little bit faster because he's keeping up with the beat. God, it's such a treat to have you in studio. Thank I you for having me. I really appreciate this it. Crazy, Thank you for being had. <laughs> With this crazy busy schedule you got, please come back this yes, summer. Yes, absolutely. Please. Absolutely. I'm looking at uh, you're going to Fargo, North Dakota, yep. St. Paul, Minnesota. Yep. yep. And um, uh, gosh, a listener said There's Gary. There's a song Indiana, in that, too. Fargo, Fargo North, North Dakota, Dakota and St. Paul, Paul, Minnesota. Minnesota. <laughs> uh, a listener from the 219 area code, which would be over in Northwest Indiana, says if you haven't played the Hard Rock Casino at uh, in Northwest Indiana, it's a great place, good acoustics. Yeah. Have you played I, there? We played that. I did uh, New Year's Eve. We uh, was on TV with that. Oh, that's right. Um I've played it probably about four times already. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank goodness we've got that there now that we don't have the Star yeah. Plaza. Yeah. Which yeah, we love yeah, yeah, the Star yeah, Plaza. Yeah. yeah. And every time we talk about it, I feel sad because of all the, the names that we've seen there. And the acoustics yeah. were great. And the sidelines yeah. and the seats were comfortable. Yeah. And now it's nothing. Yeah. One of my favorite nights there was we saw Jerry Lee Lewis and Fats Domino. After the show, oh, the we're in the deal. elevator going up to our room. And one of Fats' uh, band members was in the elevator with us. 
door opens, he gets out, and we could smell some. He said, what is that? He said, oh, that's fat. He's cooking in his room. He's got his own hot plate. <laughs> He's making beans oh, and yeah. rice yeah. Oh, yeah. in yeah. his room. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to beg, could we go yeah. with you? <laughs> but we told you this off the air, but I, I want to make it official by saying it on the air. Uh, you've got our numbers. Use us. All we right want on, you man. back here. Thank you. And I you've got new that. music coming out, too, yeah, right? Yeah, new yeah. song. Yeah, it was a, um, um, a track that we did in uh, L.A., at Sunset Studios, the famous Sunset Studios, in the famous Prince room. Prince mm. mimicked his Paisley Park studio from this studio that oh. they used to record all the time, along with his producer, David Z, and Lady Gaga's uh, musical director, uh, Michael Bearden, who's from Chicago, mm-hmm. and um, John Mayer's bass player, and um, Blood, Sweat, and Tears drummer. So we did a couple of tracks. We filmed it. We documented it. And um, it's ready to come out. Good. So uh, I'm very proud of it. And it's almost like a full circle, you know, because my dad, you know, was born and raised in Louisiana. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm city boy, Chicago, you know. um, And I always neglected, you know, that Louisiana part. So Mm -hmm. I went down to... Louisiana to listen to some music and I found one song that I like and we recorded it and we're ready to release it. I'm just trying to figure out a date. Well, wherever you are in the world, you send us a text and we'll get it on the radio too. Nice, yeah, nice. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Have a wonderful summer. We'll see you on television on yes. Wednesday at yes. 10 o'clock in the morning. Yep, y'all. Yep. <laughs> and then at Blues Fest on Thursday. Thank I you. I can't wait for the Blues Fest. Thank y'all, Chicago. Appreciate it. Wayne Baker Brooks. This has been fun. Uh we got more coming up. Stay with us. News is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. Steve King and Johnny Putman at WGN Radio. Man, you know, I say this every time we're here, but uh, this show's really gone by fast. Yeah, yeah. It's starting at 1030 <laughs> helped, but gosh, it's so much fun to be able to, to visit with people like Wayne Baker Brooks and yeah. to hopefully introduce him to people who are not familiar with his music, and now they'll go look for him. And, oh, gosh. What a talent. He is. And what a sweet man, too. And that was piece of music you just heard was a dealer's choice, producer's choice tonight. So, Patrick, that was, I feel like I know. That was uh, Just a Little While by the 502s. Oh, I wouldn't have guessed that. Hmm. What was I thinking? It's good. I love it. it, But I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have. uh... That's good driving music, too. Yeah. You know, you really get you going. Uh, Patrick Hennessy is our producer tonight. You doing okay? You, you've made it? You're surviving so far? Your final stretch? I'm surviving. My head's above water, so <laughs> I'll put it that oh, that's way. That's good. You're doing great. Are you kidding? For people who don't realize what the producer is expected to do, it's different at night, isn't it? Because during the day, you've got people around you. And at night, you have to go and get the guests. You have to play the commercials. You have to do this, do that. Talk to the people who are on the air. Um, Yeah, this is kind of trial by fire for you because this is your first solo show. Yes, yes, it is. (laughs) You're doing good. Thank you. (laughs) Now, you have a radio background because at Lewis University, you were general manager of their radio station, right? Yeah, 88.1 WLRA, um, our campus radio station i was the general manager last year but i was involved all four years i had a radio show usually wednesday nights uh, i would just play music kind of like you just heard but Mm -hmm. um yeah it was a lot of fun i graduated with a degree in radio tv broadcasting so now i'm getting to you know 
put my skills forward. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, thank goodness they offer a radio TV broadcasting. Yeah. I'm a, a Columbia We just heard College. recently the Columbia College stopped doing yeah, that. As a Columbia College alum, that depresses me to no end. Because yeah, it's too bad. So many people around here also came from Columbia College, and a couple of the producers, they were the last in the radio department at that college, which is crazy. Wow. Yeah. Keep fighting it, Lewis, to keep radio okay. Keep doing that. What was your first concert? You know, I've never actually been to a concert. Not You're a kidding. not a real one. I, I mean, I've been to you know various like festivals. festivals where they have yeah. live music playing. Right. But um, you've no, not paid to go to a concert. No, I never really? have. Hmm. One of the things that we've found. And I don't know, maybe this is because we've been to a lot of the big venues. Yeah, the big venues are fine. But if you can find a really good, intimate place, like Space Up in Evanston or Fitzgerald's, uh, where you can be up close and personal with yeah. the with the performers. Martyrs, Martyrs, Martyrs. and Shubas, yeah. also wonderful places. Um, and again, that's that's the same. I mean, that's a, a, a the real concert experience, but it's even more real because... You can see the performers sweat on stage. Um, I'm sorry that we're not going to be able to see a concert uh, by a guy that we're wild about. He's at Space in Evanston tomorrow. Oh, Paul night. Thorne. Paul Thorne is wonderful. Yeah. If you have last tickets, time we saw Paul Thorne at uh, Space. In fact, uh, if you go to our blog, and you should, and our blog is uh, stevenjohnny.wordpress.com. Do a search for Paul Thorne, because last time we saw Paul was at space, and it was a religious experience. Honestly, at the end of the show, when he goes into his encore, and he comes out in the audience, and we're all standing. And Raising hands. hands I, I mean, the spirit has filled oh, the room. And it's electric. I mean, it is amazing. He is such a great performer. And we were following him long before he was getting gigs in Chicago. We yeah. would have him on the phone, and he was trying to make it um, nationally and uh, out of Mississippi originally, I think. Yep. Yeah. Was a uh, a boxer. Mm-hmm. Great storyteller. We first discovered him. When we got one of his albums, and it had a song that we used to play every time we'd be uh, heading down to Panama City Beach. That's right. Uh, Lover's, Lover's Vacation, Vacation was the name yes. of the song. Yeah. Very good. And speaking of music that you may have got to know through us, uh, we've had the Empty Pockets on our show a few times. Mm-hmm. Husband and wife duo, local. Mm-hmm. They travel around the world. In fact, they're going to travel around the world again this year with Al Stewart. Mm-hmm. They are going to be at the Chicago Theater next Saturday night, yeah. and they're going to be opening for George Lopez, the comedian George Lopez, who doesn't look like himself. I, no, he doesn't. I, I hope he's okay. He looks like the leather George, George yeah, Lopez. Don't mean to be unkind, but he, he yeah, looks he's like he's changed been, a lot. Yeah. I was shocked the other day when I flipped by the show that he's doing with his daughter, and I was like, whoa, whoa is that George? Um, yeah, but you know, after after the pandemic, who knows what people have yeah. gone through? I came across a video of Casey, Casey and the Sunshine Band, mm-hmm. broke my heart. Really? Oh my gosh! Well, I haven't seen. He's this. still got the voice, but when you see him, he's apparently had some real serious health problems, 
and he may have been dealing with some form of paralysis and so when he's moving about it's very stilted and he's probably 50 pounds overweight and he doesn't look like himself but he's still got the voice and Mm -hmm. i love casey i mean that's just good fun music oh sure Uh, and and, uh, i think he was playing um Get Down Tonight is still one of yeah. my favorite songs. <laughs> yeah. And his band still sounded great. Yeah. And I thought, oh, wow, Ka- oh, wow, Casey. Ooh. And then I started doing some reading on him, and I, I was sad to see that. But speaking of people him. aging, not that anyone will pay attention to what I have to say, but please stop with the plastic surgery. <laughs> I forget who it was. Marlo it, Thomas. Marlo Thomas. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> Bless her heart. <sighs> I don't know how the doctors stay in business. Because if this is your calling card, I go to call and say, Marlo, give me your doctor's name. No. There's a lot to be said for aging gracefully. Just be who you are. And if you've got a couple of wrinkles. uh, Easier said than done. But if you're in Hollywood and you're not working and you're not able to pay your mortgage, you do what is required of you. And that is to look beautiful, Mm -hmm. even if you'd like to age gracefully. But. I know. It's one thing if you would look beautiful, but mm. too much looks like it, it ain't beautiful. No. Like I said, if that's your doctor's I'll go back call, to I... Tina Turner. Oh. Tina looked great. Yeah. Even in her last years where she was having some health problems. Yes. Yes. And to my knowledge, uh, if she had plastic surgery, boy, it's the best I've ever seen. Because it sure didn't look like I she have had to plastic believe... surgery. Did you see those dresses that she wore and she didn't have any support garments under them? I'm like, how can that be when you're in your 70s? And that reminds me. I don't know that we mentioned this on the air because we confirmed it afterwards. We were talking about Tina and we were talking about that incredible picture of her hanging off the Eiffel Tower. Yes. No, that was not Photoshopped. That's right. That was Tina hanging off the Eiffel Tower in heels. Thank you very much. And there High t- heels. There are two Tina Turner autobiographies. One is I, Tina, that was written with Kurt Loder. The other is uh, called uh, My Love Story. I'm reading both of them. Bought and she, them just this past week and grabbed them on Amazon. And uh, she talks about that, uh, that picture. Mm-hmm. And no, there was no Photoshopping. Mm-hmm. She did that. She was hanging off the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. And if you wonder what picture we're talking about, go to our Facebook page and scroll down uh, to last week's post, and you'll see the picture there. Yeah. Wow. We've got to take a quick break. We are in the final stretch of the show, and coming up in a little bit, we'll take our, our last caller for the show. Just to remind you, too, that next week will be a shorter show. Yeah. Again, Stanley Cup playoffs will bump us, and we'll start around 1030. And one of the people joining us next week uh, will be our friend Tom Appel. We'll talk cars. Mm-hmm. And uh, some other surprises. Yes, yes. But first, let's take a break, and we'll come right back on WGN. Steve King and Johnny Putman at WGN Radio. Uh, you, you know we had to play some Taylor yeah. Swift. I actually like that one a lot. Yeah. I'm, as I have been, I think, since day one, a huge Taylor Swift fan. And we posted some pictures on Facebook. And I'm going to call this person out. I'm not going to mention their name. Oh. But we posted some pictures on facebook as we were driving in and we just said it's a taylor swift kind of night and one jerk yes had to jump in and 
Don't you people know she's evil, evil incarnate? Yeah, she's blah, hiding blah, a blah, secret blah, blah. that she's trans, and it just goes on. I'm like, and that's Whoa. probably because Taylor Swift did a wonderful thing. Uh, it was at the beginning of her Friday night show, and she, uh, at the top of her show, I'm going to read this. Uh, she said. Da, 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 da. Uh, she gave a shout out to the uh, LGBTQ community, and she said, "One of the things that makes me feel so prideful is getting to be with you and watching you interacting with you, being so loving, so thoughtful, and so caring." And uh, some people get really bent out of shape. And I'm sorry if you get bent out of shape. Don't listen to us. Mm-hmm. Okay, go away. We don't want you. Yeah, and it was really. Um strange that all of these positive and every, i understand everything doesn't have to be positive but you don't have to be ugly yeah you're just coming with just stupid ugly um vitriolic nonsense yeah. um speaking of nonsense i just looked up a story i'd come across earlier today uh, a warning that if you go to her concert be prepared you may suffer post-concert amnesia Excuse me? Post-concert amnesia. I found the story. Now, I can see suffering post-concert ringing in your ears. Yeah. Um, people, amnesia? People have reported, I guess it's the buildup yeah. and the hype yeah. and the fact that you, you, well. Is that like the sugar high and then the letdown and then or you, what? you crash. And uh, people have reported they have trouble remembering the show for a couple of days because it's so much to take in. I well, yeah, she, I, yeah, she does. What, I about a three-hour show? Three and a half hours. I think I could understand that. It's so much, and it's so big and glitzy and loud that maybe it comes a point where you're... And, and you're standing there with 60,000 of your closest friends. And you're just kind of... Maybe you zone out and afterwards as you're walking to the car you're thinking what just happened so they're calling it post-concert amnesia the concert overall exceeds many people's expectations bigger and better than they ever imagined it would be and it is quite frankly doctors say overwhelming some swifties have taken to social media to say the experience was so spectacular that they they have shaken off some memory of the show which is really tragic if you pay two thousand dollars i want to remember every centella of the experience but i think the length of the concert would probably have something to do with that yes because when my first time well seeing the beatles i to this day i remember tons of things about that um most concerts i've seen i remember pretty much everything uh mm-hmm. yeah i mean obviously with time some things go away but the length of a concert like that i uh, think that adds to it and the fact that it is so big and and there's so many things elements because yeah. say what you want about ticket prices in as johnny and i were talking earlier taylor probably doesn't have a lot to do with the umpteen thousand dollar prices yes she's getting paid yes she's making money but she gives her fans i was going to say their money's worth i don't know that two thousand dollars is anybody's money's worth but point is she she came to the house i'd pay two thousand (laughs) dollars but the point is she puts on a show that 
in a normal mm. realm of ticket pricing, people would, oh boy, be getting their money's worth. Well, I was looking at stills from last night's show, and the because it's her era's E R A apostrophe S concert. So she's, she's touching on a little bit from every era. Taylor Swift era, and she's changing her costume and mm-hmm. everyone. And I said to you. I don't know how she gets in and out of these things because she's down to the stockings and the shoes and the whole thing and does it really quickly because the show doesn't stop for her to make those changes. Uh, Dr. Leah Kroll, a neurologist at Temple University, said it's actually a neurologic phenomenon that can happen in a heightened emotional state. As Taylor Swift fans are going to this concert, there's so much to be excited about. There's so much stimuli to process for the brain. And I bet the younger you are, it might be even more difficult to, or maybe maybe it's easier. What do you think? Younger, older? I don't know. You could go either way because on one hand, there's the young emotions absolutely heightened. Yeah. And the flip side of that is you're a little older and... And you can't process all of this happening around you. Because the doctor says your brain actually does go through a process of trying to take in all of the stimuli. And maybe it just comes to a point where it says, no, I'm going to go to sleep for a little while. And, you know, you're lucky if you remember what you experienced, but But maybe not. Are they saying that after a couple of days that you will recall this? That it's just kind of an initial bump. It's not like um, saying you saw the Beatles in the 60s, but you don't remember anything about it. Why? Because it was the 60s. Yeah. You know, in fact, a listener says, I have post-concert amnesia of many concerts. This is, (laughs) I attended in the 70s, but I blame the one, let me click this, I blame the one... Well, I'll blame that one on weed. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, that word. <laughs> there are, I saw about two concerts at the Aragon. I can't tell you which ones because all I know is you walked in and there was the smoke. Yeah. And I think I saw Steppenwolf. I may have seen uh, the Young Rascals. I'm not Maybe. The, I, the VIP section at the top of the. Um, the Aragon? Ar- Aragon is uh, very small. It, it's, it's just a handful of seats in the upper balcony. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to a concert there in 2017. I went with my wife, and we paid like an extra $100 just to get up there. So we wow. so we weren't standing on the main floor for wow. five, six hours, however long we were there. But uh, it was a nice view, but it was a very tight squeeze. Well, who did you see? And smoke goes up, too. <laughs> um, I, I went to see this, uh, this uh, Latin group, Zion and Lennox. Uh, okay. They sing primarily in Spanish, but uh-huh. um, and then there was a couple of opening acts and a DJ in between and all that. But uh, wow. but yeah, the first time I had ever been there, and I used to live in the uptown neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I lived there as a kid, and I walked by many times. The first time I've been in there, I know they've had boxing and professional mm-hmm. wrestling and all kinds of things in there, and just seeing like you know like how much the building after all these years was still intact, but just that little bit of a tight squeeze in the upper balcony <laughs> didn't, didn't take too kindly to. And in the seventies, we considered it a dump. Because yeah. I went to see Foghat there, and I remember uh, finding a post, and I just clutched that post for mm-hmm. the entire night because it was just like, ew, my feet are sticking to the floor. <laughs> ew, I don't want to have to go to the bathroom. It was just a big view. <laughs> and it did go through some renovation, and the acoustics are quite good. And if you got tickets to go there, more power to you. But uh, I got bad memories. By the way, I, I know we got to get to the news, but uh, real quick, Gabe, you want to give a shout-out to, was it your niece? Uh, yes, my, so niece, cool. my, my niece Sophia, um, she's probably sleeping at this time, but uh, she graduated high school on Friday. Um, 
so proud of her. When my wife and I first got together, she was only eight or nine months. She was just a baby. And I just wonder where all that time went. Um, You know, I see the gray hair on my face, and I'm just like, wow, that time went by pretty fast. She starts college in August, and I'm so proud of her because she worked so hard, like, through from the time she first started high school. Like, she was determined. You know, she never never messed around with her schoolwork. She always, you know, was always very diligent about that. So, uh, proud uncle over here, and yeah. um, yeah. and she's beautiful too. She she, she turned she graduated high school Friday. She turns eighteen in July and goes to college in August. And mm. uh, and, uh, and I'm getting old. <laughs> no, you're not. Well, uh, we'll take a break. Uh, news with the proud uncle is coming up. We have not played Wet Willie's Weekend in a decade. No. I'm serious. We never played it on an afternoon show when we were filling in. Yeah, we did. I have post-concert amnesia. I think... Do not try to stick that on me. I do not remember. Yeah, we did. We did not. Yeah, we did. And we've used it to introduce our Saturday no. night. Yep. yep. No. With me here? And maybe it was the other cute blonde I hang out with. <laughs> I've been meaning to talk to her, too. She's messy. She's so messy. Okay. We're living up to the reputation we're getting. In that last half hour, you guys get kind of silly, don't you? No. No. Us? Mm -mm. Silly? Speaking of silly, i got a couple of silly stories I want to sneak in here. Okay. It's your show. Thank you. We are on Wacker. We are right along the road. We are wacky. (laughs) Wacky on Wacker. That's right, everybody. We are right across, or next to the river, I should say, across from the old Tribune Tower. Mm -hmm. And it was five years ago today that we moved from the Tribune Tower, where we spent literally decades um, scooting in the back door, up the dock and up the stairs and Mm -hmm. into the studio. Wonderful studios. Love that place. Now they're million-dollar condos, maybe multi-million-dollar oh, condos absolutely there. multi-million. Yes, five years ago today. I want to give a shout-out to a guy that is just a fabulous friend to WGN Radio, to us, to everybody that's on, on WGN Radio and TV. His name is Chuck Snitchler, mm-hmm. and Chuck is listening at Hobart right now tonight hey, Chuck. on his little transistor radio. And Chuck, In fact, he, he posted a picture of uh, this new transistor yes. radio he got. Well, Chuck and Diane Peterson, Peterson with a D, they run a Facebook page called WGN Radio and TV News Info Past and Present. And I would recommend you check it out if you want to just get some lowdown on whatever happened to people, because mm-hmm. if they pop up any way, shape, or form, Chuck or Diane will post it on that Facebook page. And it's a lot about um, the people who are part of WGN now, but also people who may be with another station or another yeah. uh, occupation who were part of the WGN right. family. They come up, tirelessly work to come up with stuff to keep that Facebook fresh and up to date. And because today is the anniversary of the radio station moving from the Tribune Tower to 303 East Wacker, mm-hmm. Chuck has posted the tour of the radio station. So if you did not see this five years ago when it was mm-hmm. circulating, recommend that you check it out. This is, the, again, not saying it just because we work here. This is a cool place to work. Well, uh, the, the the people who put this facility together knew what they wanted to do. It is 
possibly the state-of-the-art broadcast facility in the world. The world. Literally. Yes. And I know I'm using superlatives. It's that cool, people. In fact, Patrick, you're new enough here. You've been here for three weeks now. Were you surprised when you came into these studios? Yeah, honestly. um, It's big. They fit a lot in this one area. Yet it's big. Mm -hmm. I mean... Because we have people that come in here and go, whoa, I was just in the studio in London, or, you know, fill in the blanks, and they go, it's like a closet compared to how And, big and, these and for people are. who don't know, the, our studio is like in one corner of the building. Right. There is also a, a TV studio, there is a performance studio, there is a separate studio that John Williams does his show from, mm-hmm. there is a separate newsroom facility. Uh, there are production facilities. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's it's pretty cool. It really is. If you want to take a tour, you can click on, again, it's a Facebook page that Chuck and Diane, uh, uh, maintain, and it is the WGN Radio and TV News Info Past and Present. Be sure you find that one. It'll be the one that has the tour posted mm-hmm. from five years ago. I don't recall who did the tour, but it's all-inclusive. It takes you yeah. through the nooks and crannies of the place, and you get a sense of when we talk about being in a uh, a, a perfect place to watch the fireworks, for example, right. like we did tonight. We look out on Navy Pier. Yeah, and we try to capture shots from here, from the 18th floor. Andy Mazur does a wonderful job of that, too. Andy's, oh, some of the sunrise oh, pictures he has, they're and beautiful. He's, he's such a good photographer for two but um right down the street right down the street here on wacker there is a family of peregrine peregrine oh, are they the ones that have been dive bombing people yes they are on a ledge on the seventh floor of a different building of a different building but it's right down the way and yeah. apparently they've had to put signage on the street telling people do not walk beside this building yeah. because do you think it's the daddy that swoops down and dive bombs people? Maybe they're, Maybe the they're perceiving some sort of danger to the kids. They're seven stories up, though. Doesn't matter. <laughs> and one man said he thought he'd been hit in the head by a softball. And someone screamed, look, that falcon just hit you in the head. <laughs> no. I'm sorry. I would never want someone to end up at the hospital. Well, why is a Marvel movie playing in my head right now? I'm picturing the Black Falcon, and he's... But can you imagine going to the emergency room and saying I was just attacked by... I'm sorry. I shouldn't laugh, because it may happen. Because they're not done having their babies on the seventh floor of this building right down the way, just like two buildings down from here, on Wacker, right along the river. And they're up on the seventh floor, but apparently there's enough signage to warn you to either go... But there, what if the Falcons can't read? They can't read. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hard word for me to say. Falcon, Falcon. And I've I heard it. be careful. I've, I've heard Yep. I've just... <laughs> Won't be a parking lot if I keep this up. Yeah, buddy. Oh, you know what's happening? Oh, yes. They're they're starting to flick the lights. (laughs) And I think in the distance, I can hear the sound of that Zamboni floor cleaner. (laughs) He just polishes the hardwood floor around here. It makes a little noise. That's why he wants us out here before he starts driving it around. No, Gabe does not drive the Zamboni around the station. He wants to, but we won't let him. He's too valuable in the newsroom. (laughs) But if you want to be our last caller, 
you got to start now. you got to make that call. As long as you haven't won anything in the past 60 days, you, if you are our last caller, you will get some pretty nifty prizes like a WGN Radio Retro T-shirt mm-hmm. and your very own American Weather Makers desktop weather station. So you can call right now, 312-981-7200. That number again, 312-981-7200. <laughs> If you want to uh, be the last caller, and uh, Patrick will take a bunch of callers, and, um, and we'll choose we'll, we'll choose a number, and so he tells us how many people have called at right. that number, and then we are told what that number is, and then we choose a number between one and that number, and sometimes it, it I don't think we've ever chosen one, but we'll see tonight if that works out, and then we're going to put you on the radio and talk to you for a few minutes and find out why you're up at this hour of the night. Just why are you up to just what what's going on? And do you have to go back on Monday morning or do they send you back on Sunday night? You know, yes. what are the rules? Are you, are, are you on a work release program <laughs> right. or what's going you on? You can tell us anything. So 312-981-7200 if you want to be our last caller. So we'll find out who it is coming up on WGN. Takes me back to the days when we'd flick the lights right about now. Finish your damn drink. That's yep. all I want you to do. I want to go home. I'm going to count my money and go home. Hey, you were a waitress, and uh, when I was uh, playing in bars and they started flicking the lights, one of the things we did is a lot of the band members, we'd make sure we kind of backed up on the stage because there were a uh, – it was not unusual for a fight to break out just because oh. somebody had been looking at somebody else's girlfriend oh. or guy friend. And uh, I bet and, if they brought the lights up briefly because this happens in bars – you get an idea of who's looking at whom, and then that's when trouble starts. Yep. But our last call was usually three, and I think yours was probably four in some cases. Yep. Yeah. So this in, is in some cases, and on. Uh, then there was always with the time change. Oh please! And we always had to work that extra hour yeah. and not get paid anymore because the owner would say, "Well, yeah, we'll." Uh, when the time changes again, you'll be here. We were never there. Yeah, you'll get it back when the time uh, changes, and you don't uh, work that hour. Didn't happen. Really? Okay. No, not so okay. much. Um, Producer Patrick says that out of nine numbers, I'm going to let you choose a number for our last caller today. Okay. Uh, out of nine numbers, I'm going to say number three. Number three. Well, Okay. Let us say good morning to Derek. Okay, let me uh, do this over here. I think I have to do it this way. And, oh, there's Derek, and here's Derek. Hi, Derek. You with us? Hi, I'm here. Good morning, Derek. Hi there. Where are you calling from, Derek? Good morning. Just plains. And why are you up at this hour of the morning? <laughs> well, I'm a night owl, so I'm, I'm always up. Good, good. And what happens on your Sunday? Are you good for nothing on Sunday? Because I know we're not. Um, I don't know. It's National Cheese Day, so I'm going to enjoy some cheese. Okay. <laughs> okay. But that's not that's not really any different than any other day. So. Okay. It's National Cheese Day. That's on the heels of, wasn't it National Donut Day a couple days ago? Yes. Yes, yes. it was Donut uh-huh. Day. And yesterday was National Egg Day. National oh, so what day? Egg? National Egg Egg Day. I wonder why. So, so donuts, eggs, and cheese. Okay, there you go. <laughs> and, and the funny thing is, I don't, I don't generally uh, observe holidays, but these I make an exception for. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, well, you have your priorities. And it's a strawberry moon. 
right? We got a full moon. It's called the strawberry moon. Just looking here at some of the other things that happened on this day. Um, I, for some reason, I think it's it's uh, pizza day. I think that's what we're having when we get home. That's why we have to stay up most of the morning because we have a you know a decent meal when we get home from doing the show. And it's like, we can't go to bed to like eight in the morning. By the way, for those of you that are on a gluten-free diet, Freschetti's pizza. Freschetti's is oh, wonderful. Oh boy, is it good. Yes. Well, are you going to have a late night snack, Derek? Oh, maybe. Maybe. I'm cheese. Okay. <laughs> and what do you do when you're not uh, staying up late at night? Um, well, um, you can lie to us, you know. You can make this very colorful. <laughs> you could make it incredibly colorful. You could be well, a retired I, astronaut. I, I really do listen to WGN quite a bit. So. <laughs> I like the idea um, that you're a retired astronaut. I think you should run with that. <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah. I, and yeah. you don't have to worry I, about I, us. I like, uh, I like space. We will never ask you. And you're kind of spacey sometimes. <laughs> and we, we would never ask you complicated questions like, how do you go to the bathroom in space? We would never <laughs> no, do that. That, that to would you. never no. enter our, our mind. But, it, but if you weren't a retired astronaut, <laughs> what would your career have been or be? Uh, architect. Architect. Oh, okay. Cool. That's a good. I'm not really an architect, but I'd like to be. <laughs> you could have fooled us. I know. We know nothing about architecture. <laughs> oh golly! Well, I'm, I'm I'm an architecture buff. So mm, okay, that's nice. Uh, this is this is the best city to be in. Yes, yes. Have you, I'm going to think the answer to this question is yes, but I will ask it anyway. Have you ever taken the architectural boat tour in downtown Chicago? Oh sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the of the Chicago Architecture Center. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I actually volunteer for their Open House Chicago every year in October. Does that make you a docent when you do that? When you volunteer? No, 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 not quite. <laughs> um, but but just uh, just I volunteer every every year. Well, that's that very weekend. cool. Yeah, that architectural boat tour. If anybody hasn't done it, do it. Yeah. It is one of the best tours. In the Midwest. You learn things about the buildings. You're like, what? I've seen that all my life. And I had no idea that that's why Cersei is sitting up there. And and Derek, help me with this. What what is the building? I'm forgetting the the name of the building, but you see it as you're doing this boat tour. It it looks like a big armchair, and it faces Hmm. west. Is that the stock exchange? Armchair. The stock exchange? on, uh, On Wacker? Yeah, yes. it's, it's, it's as you as you curve and By you can Lafelle. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't remember the name of it, but it, yeah, I, I think I know what the one you're, you're talking about. It's on the south side mm-hmm. of the river. Yeah, I think it's I think it's Lasalle and Wacker. And you wonder why, why? But they tell you that on the tour. Well, we are happy that you are going to be sporting an exclusive WGN Radio Retro Logo T-shirt. And you're going to get your very own desktop weather station from American Weathermakers Heating, Cooling, and Plumbing, the 60-Minute Men. This this thing has become so collectible. We've had... Mm -hmm. Somebody told me in the PR department, we had somebody call and lie because they wanted a weather maker. It was like, (laughs) I think I won one, but nobody took my name. Really? It doesn't work that way. But we're going to take your name for real. Patrick's going to take your information off the air, Derek. And it's nice to meet you. Thank you so much for listening, too. Yeah, great. Thanks for giving us all the entertainment on on the radio every Saturday. Well, thanks for hanging out with us. We'll put you on hold, and uh, Patrick will get all of you, all of your personal information. 
319 area code text says no. When they bring the lights up, what hurts is when you realize she's a he. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that could be kind of startling. Uh, And some of our listeners say that they're going to have post-amnesia show syndrome tomorrow. And that's what I say happens to me on Sunday. I am flat out good for nothing. We're good for nothing on Sunday. Yeah, we're going to have Orange Julius and watch the Sox game. And I hope it's anywhere near as exciting as it was. Yeah, we've got, we've got the Sox game. Uh, we DVR'd it, so we have yes. to watch that, that ninth tenth, inning. Was it the tenth, tenth inning? inning? They were tied at one, and the tenth inning, it was a wild pitch, and the umpire got hit in the face by a ninety-six point uh. four mile per hour ball. The catcher didn't even attempt to 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 go for the ball, and Johan Moncada came in from third and won the game on that wild pitch. Crazy game. On that note, I think we're out of words. Be safe. (laughs) Have a good uh, rest of your weekend. And don't forget, next week, uh, again, late start time because of the Stanley Cup finals. So we're going to be starting around 1030. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. And uh, news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom.